Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. Sat by our computers and our phones early in the week as we saw sort of the tragedy of Notre Dame unfolding. Right? We watched the, the building, which is so beautiful, uh, burning. It was hard to watch, wasn't it? It was sort of so strange to see something so beautiful, something so iconic and historic burning. And for, for just a moment, it reminded us that a tragedy happened. Now, not too long after that, it became a joke of, let's see how many of our friends have been to Paris. I'm sure they will tell us about it. But even this morning, we see things like, as we wake up, there were churches that were bombed during the Easter services in Sri Lanka. We see tragedy happening all around us, and these things strike us. Why? Why do things like the burning of the why do things like bombs? Why do things like attacks? Why do those things strike us? Because there's something about tragedy that we instinctually know that something isn't right here. That something is not going the way that it's supposed to be going. This is not the way things were supposed to be. And it's not just true uh, of tragedies like that. Think of all the time you see beauty destroyed. Think of the ways we see justice trampled on. The way violence flourishes. When suffering seems to be in the air that we breathe all around. So we sort of look around and it's pretty easy for us to get pretty dim, isn't it? And it's not just these big picture things, it's also things in our own life. How many of us struggle with anxiety? How many of us have hurt from something that's happened to us in our lives that had nothing to do with us? How many of us have that in our lives and it sort of rings in our ears over and over again? How many of us feel sort of the sting of control that every time I try harder, nothing can come to me? I think most of us experience these things. And that I just can't get it to go right. There's a song by a band called The Decemberist, and basically the only lyrics of the song is, Oh, for once in my life, would just something go right? My, my eight-year-old heard the song the other day and said, Oh my gosh, that's my life, Dad. <laughs> I'm like, dude, you are eight years old, you've never even seen a straw box, much less written it. Get out of my car and you're walking to grandma's. <laughs> no, we have this. These feelings, right? This joylessness, this anger, all of this. It just sort of sits on us. And when we think about the big picture stuff, we get cynical. Beauty is destroyed. Violence is flourishing. Everywhere we look, justice is terrible. It's bad. And we sort of go, what am I supposed to do with all of this? He says, just gestures, probably. Right? We get cynical. And what about the personal thing? What do we do about that? We try to self-medicate. We try to make it go away. We try to replace any sort of feeling that we can and say, if I, if I just had more money, if I just had more sex, if it was just a little bit, if it was just more 
into a self-help fad that turns out to be a self-help fad. That promotion, that raise, was not that, that money didn't go quite as far as I thought it was going to go. The lifestyle change was not what I was expecting. All of these things, all of these points to something going on. Pointing the fact that no matter what we do, we need something to change. Or else we're just going to keep getting more and more simple. And we're just going to find more and more ways to distract ourselves from our personal We need something to change the trajectory of our lives. We're quick to admit that the world is broken. But we are really slow to admit that we are fighting. We are both victim and perpetrator. We have been hurt by others. And we have hurt. We have experienced hate. And we have fear. You see, we are very quick to mess. The world is broken. Stuff is messed up. That is bad. But we don't really want to go. And I have been the cause of some of that bad. I like to say the world is broken because it helps me cope with the fact that stuff is bad. I don't like to say that I'm broken because then I have to cope with the fact that I am bad. No matter where we are this morning, whether you're a Christian or not, I think we find ourselves in the midst of these people, in the midst of this struggle to admit that we are part of the problem. But I want to read to you some good news this morning. Something to encourage us by. So if you would please stand up, and I'm going to read the first eight verses of chapter 21 of the book of Revelation. John writes this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. The former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without pain. To the one who conquers, will have his heritage, and I will be his God, he will be my son. That's for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable. As for murderers, sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all lives, their portion will be the lake of fire that burns, and the lake that burns fire and sulfur, which is the second path. 
same church. This is the word of God written in 2000 years ago, and intended for us as Easter boys. We need something that is going to change us and going to change the world. And what Christians believe is that the resurrection of Jesus is that thing. The thing that changes the world fundamentally is the fact that Jesus, after dying on the cross, comes back to life. And what we see in this passage, which is, you know, reading from the, the book of Revelation, which we normally think of because it has all of this crazy imagery, all of this wild stuff going on. But in this passage, we see a pretty clear picture of what the destiny of this world is. And as we read that, I want to point out just a few things. First of all, that this is something that gives us personal hope, that we can be a part of a new people. You see, it says that, that it's that we are like the bride of Christ. And this is something that, that a number of the writers of the Bible use to describe the church. The church is the bride of Christ. And we are the bride of Christ, and he is the one who has made us holy. I have a very good friend, his name is Tim, and he pastored with me at my last church in South Carolina. And Tim had this thing that he would do with which he would talk about, you know, you're doing a normal wedding sermon, the sermon that all of you guys have heard, there's even jokes about, oh, what are they going to do? First Corinthians 13 or Ephesians 5, right? It's sort of classic wedding sermon. But part of Tim's typical wedding sermon is he talks about the fact that no bride deserves to wear white. That we're all, that we're all impure, that we've all done stuff wrong, that nobody is perfect, so no bride deserves to wear white. And every time he does it, I flinch. I've done a couple weddings with him. And I've been deathly afraid that either uh, the bride herself, maybe the bride's dad, that somebody's going to swing on Tim when he talks about this, right? Time and place, man. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of other stuff you can say at a wedding. That's probably not the best look. And yet, as much as as much as I, it's not the right time to say that. That's true, though, isn't it? That we all are in need, and we've all been impure in one way or shape or form. But the hope that we have is that's not always going to be the case. That one day, Jesus is going to transform us, our hearts, our minds, so that we are no longer impure, but we are pure. And then he talks about in the passage, John mentioned there's no seed, which is a strange thing. Right? Because first of all, I think I'd kind of like to go swim in the ocean maybe in heaven. You know, it seems like a not-so-crazy thing. Why is he mentioning that? Well, for, for one, throughout the Bible, the imagery of the sea is always where bad things come from. It's something you can't control. But this passage also echoes of the story of Moses and his people getting to the edge of the Red Sea. They're running from Pharaoh. Pharaoh has, has let them go. Finally, Charles Contestant has brought them out of the land of Egypt. And then they get to the Red Sea, and what are they going to do? What's going to happen next? How many times have we got to a spot in our life where that's exactly our question? God, what are you doing now? Because all I see is the army coming that way, and a bunch of water, a sea right there. What this is talking about, except there's no sea, it's going to be the time when our faith is going to be found. 
not only is God going to make us pure, but our faith will be made sight. So that we don't have to hope anymore because that hope is fulfilled. We don't have to doubt anymore because we will know. We don't have to worry, what's God going to do when we get to that problem because he will be with us. This is the story that goes throughout the Old Testament that God is with the people of Israel. There's a pillar of fire, a pillar of cloud. And then he settles in the temple. And then Jesus comes and he's with us for a while, but then he goes back to heaven. In fact, one of Jesus' other names is Emmanuel. It means God with us. But this is going to be a permanent thing one day. Us, as a people, will be holy, doubtless, and with God. So many of our things, so many of our anxieties, our hurts, and our pain. I like the way that what God is doing in our lives. But what God is doing is not just an individual thing. It's not just something that's happening with you, but something that's happening all around us. Did you notice that when he describes what heaven is going to be like, he talks about the fact that there's no more death. There is no more dysfunction. There is no more pain, and there are no more tears. Just, just think through that list, and I want you to try to imagine a world in your mind for just a second without death. Pain, tears, or any sort of dysfunction at all. We can't even imagine that, can we? As we sort of try to conjure up an idea in our mind about what that would look like, our brain just sort of breaks our brain. The way that, that J.R.R. Tolkien, back to the Lord of the Rings, put this is that all of the sad things are going to become untrue. We can't imagine what that's going to be like, and that is exactly what faith is about. The subversive thing about Christianity is we believe that yes, there is real pain, yes, there is real brokenness, yes, stuff is not right, but I believe that there is a God who is at work to change those things. So that the, the sad thing is not the last thing. That's, that's what we're saying. But it's something that we have to believe by faith. Because guess what? It's very easy for us to use our eyeballs and see all the sad things. See all the brokenness, right? You have to just open up your eyes and get Yes, bad things. You, all you have to do is fire up Twitter, and people will tell you about every bad thing on the planet, right? That's what Twitter's for, right? And yet we still keep going back to the free optional website. Maybe that's too autobiographical. Maybe that's just me. But that's what faith is. We have to have faith in such things as this because we can't see it. And so we move on and begins in up this passage. And the way he ends the passage is sort of a strange way, right? He sort of prowls off the list of like bad things. You know, and then these kinds of people, these kinds of people, Why does he do that? It's not the classic list of sins that the Bible gives. Could use the Ten Commandments, right? It's not the seven deadly sins that we talked about over the past few weeks here at church. 
What he's doing with these is showing us that all of us are guilty. See, all of us can find ourselves in that place. I mean, I know I can. How many times have I lied to get out of a, a bad situation? Right? More than I care to admit. Right? More often than not, that's the pattern of least resistance. How many times have I been cowardly? Because I have an odd job and people find out what I do, they don't always want to be my friend. Right? And so how many times do I say something like, oh, I, I work it out, I'm kind of an entrepreneur in the community development space. Because, because people don't, they don't want to sound like they don't know what that means. They want to sound smart enough to go, oh, yes, of course, an entrepreneur in the community development space. I see. But why do I do that? Because I'm cowardly. Because sometimes I don't want to say, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor of a church startup. And so even if I can use this list, I can use this. You see, it's easy for us as Christians to throw rocks at others and say, ah, yes, ah, yes. That's, that's the bad people out there. And we Christians, we have it all together. We're the good people in the church. The, the Russian novelist, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, he said that. He said that the, the line between good and evil does not run between us and them. And you can say the same thing. The line between good and evil does not even work, uh, run between you guys and the pastor up here. No, no. The line between good and evil runs straight down the middle of everything. All of us can look at this list and find ourselves as part of the problem. We are not just the victims of injustice in this we have, in large ways and in small ways, been victimized. Our actions have no consequences, and they have hurt other people. There's a joke that I told some of my therapist friends that, that it's helpful to remember that if all of us went to therapy, somebody would be telling their therapist about because of something you've done. Now, we are, ooh, a lot of people have there, no way, they know. But, it's true. And not only do our actions have these consequences in the way that we are a part of the brokenness in this world, but they also have consequences in that all sin is cognitive treatment of this God. All sin is constituted with God, which is why God must punish him. He talks about that. The text talks about a lake burning with sulfur and fire. And you see, this is where we begin to see the good news of Jesus. Because what Jesus did on the cross was not just an innocent man dying and coming back to life. It was not a good teacher who had a really bad weekend. That is not what the story of Jesus is all about. What the story of Jesus is all about is the fact that he experienced death and hell in every conceivable way on the cross. And he did that to take the place of the earth. You see, we deserve hell. 
And Jesus took it on himself for us. That's what the cross really is. That's what the writing is all about. And then he conquered death, and he is in the process of creating a new people and a new world. That is the anchor that we have. That is the anchor that doesn't fade away in the morning, that doesn't come loose every time we pull out it. That is the anchor that we church for me. So when you find yourself this morning, for some of you, to hear this, it may be a call to admit, maybe for the first time, that you have been part of this body. In Christianity, you call me sin. And you say that I need to trust in Jesus. I need to be united to Him. I need His forgiveness. Because being united to Jesus is the only real relief in the pain and futility that we can offer. But maybe that's not the case for you. Maybe you're a Christian. For those of us who find ourselves in that place, we need to begin to trust more and more in what our risen Lord is doing. See, all of this new heaven and new earth stuff is based on what Jesus already did in the earth and the world. You know the guarantees for the new world? That the new world has already busted into this one and it busted out of his grave. That's when the new world started. But we don't always see it. We have to have faith begin to look around. I think an example of this is the example of a bride-to-be. If you've ever met a bride-to-be, and I just got done with wedding season where we did five different weddings uh, this spring, if you've ever met a bride, what can a bride do to change anything? Can they make the day come any faster? No. What is the chief thing that a bride to be does? They wait. They wait. That's the first thing. They wait. That's what a bride does. He's waiting for her wedding day. That's what a groom does. He's waiting for his wedding day. But does that mean that, that the bride or the groom just sits at home doing nothing? No. What happens? Every part of their life is caught up in planning for that day that is to come. Planning and working, finding flowers, finding the right venue, listening to DJs and whatever else. All the things. It changes the way brides and grooms order their life as they anticipate the wedding, right? How many times, how much more do bride and grooms to be go to the gym than the newly married? or have been married for a long time. Right? It changes your life. How many times have you talked to somebody who's anticipating getting married, and they say they've changed the way that they spend their money? Why? Okay. Okay. Oh, I can't do that. I've got this coming up. It's a waiting that is an active waiting. See, church, what we are called to do as the bride of Christ, is to actively wait and work to see that world come more and more into this one. I think this quote uh, by one of my favorite writers named Tom Wright sums it up. But what can and must we do in the present? If we are obedient to the gospel, if we are following Jesus, if we are indwelt, energized, and directed by the Spirit, is to build for the kingdom. 
you are, strange as it may seem, and almost as hard as to believe as the resurrection itself, accomplishing something that will become in due course part of God's world. Every act of love, gratitude, and kindness. Every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delighting in his beauty of creation. Every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or walk. Every act of care, of nurture, of comfort and support for one's fellow human beings. And for that matter, everything. And of course, every prayer and all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel and builds up the church, embraces it and buys holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world. All of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God this is the mission City Church, let us wait and trust in Jesus. Let us rest in what He has done, and let us move out to wage peace, to build and create that new world in small and tiny ways. Let's pray.